Chapter 8 of The Red Hell of Jupiter by Paul Ernst. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Red Hell of Jupiter. Chapter 8 Tremendous Odds. Like living spokes of a half wheel, with the Earthman as the hub, the Rogans converged towards Brand, a howling roar outside indicating that there were hundreds more waiting to jam into the dome as soon as they were able. There were still no shock tubes in evidence. Evidently, the worker who had gone for help had gathered the first Rogan citizens he had encountered on the streets, but the very numbers of the mob spelled defeat for Brand. However, there was still the great lever behind him to yank away from its switch socket. The glass bell was almost off now. With a last mad blow, he knocked loose the remaining bolt that held it. The bell clattered to the floor. A concerted shriek came from the crowding Rogans as they saw the Earthman's hand close on the lever. Whatever effect the throwing of that master switch would have, there was no doubt that they were extremely anxious to prevent it. And now, in the rear of the crowding columns, appeared Rogans taller than the others, with an authoritative air, who waved before them, eager to unleash their power, batteries of the death-tubes. Resigning himself to annihilation in the next instant, Brand pulled down hard on the lever. The effect wrought by the throwing of that great switch was almost indescribable. In a flash, as though all had been struck at once by a giant's hand, every Rogan in the mob shot toward the floor, long thin legs caving under him as if turned to water. Writhing feebly, they endeavored to get up, but could not, and still weakly ferocious, began to creep toward the earthman like huge-headed worms. Brand himself had been thrown to the floor with the falling of that switch. He had felt as though an invisible ocean had been poured on him, weighing him down intolerably. To move arms or legs required enormous effort, and to get up on his feet again was like rising under a two-hundred-pound pack. The movement of that switch, he saw, had cut off the gravity-reducing apparatus of the Rogans, whatever that might consist of. They were now, abruptly, subjected to the full force of gravity exerted by Jupiter's great mass. They could no more stand erect on their tottering, lofty legs than they could fly. But though greatly handicapped by the gravity pull, they were still not entirely helpless. Like huge, long insects, they continued to worm their way toward Brand, using their forearms and their boneless legs to help urge them over the flooring. And in their rear, the Rogan guards struggled to lift their tubes and level them at the escaped prisoner. Prompt to avoid that, Brand went down on his hands and knees. Thus he was shielded by the foremost crawling Rogans. The ones in the rear, with the tubes, could not raise themselves high enough to bore down over their fellows' heads at the earthman. Squatting on his knees, Bran awaited the first resolute crawlers, and on his knees, whirling the now thrice weighty bar at heads that were conveniently low enough to be accessible, he began his last stand. On the Rogans came, evidently determined at any sacrifice of life to get the earthman away from that vital control board and to right and left, crouching low to escape the tubes of the guards slowly crawling forward from the rear, Bran laid about him with the bar. He got a little sick at the havoc he was wreaking on these slow-moving, gravity-crippled things, but remembrance of their grisly feeding habits and the torture they must by now have inflicted on decks 
kept him flailing down on soft heads with undiminished effort. With the gravity pull what it was, the Earthman was immeasurably stronger than any individual Rogan. For a time the contest was all in his favor. It was like killing slugs in a rose-garden. Nevertheless, these slugs were, after all, twelve feet long and possessed of intelligence, besides being hundreds in number. After a while the tide of battle began to turn in their favor. Bran began to feel his arms ache burningly with the sustained effort of wielding a weapon that now weighed about twenty-five pounds. He knew he couldn't keep up the terrific strain much longer. And in addition he could see that the armed rogans in the rear were steadily forging ahead among the unarmed attackers, till they soon must be in a position to blast him with their weapons. Bran brought down his bar, with failing force but still deadly effect, on the loathsome face of the nearest rogan, grunting with satisfaction as he saw it crumple into a shapeless mass. He thrust it, spear-like, into another face and another. Then abruptly he found himself weaponless. Raising it high to bring it down on an attacker who was almost about to seize him, he felt the metal bar turn white-hot and dropped it with a cry as it seared the skin from the palms of his hands. Some rogan guard in the rear had managed to train his tube on the bar, and in the instant of its rising had almost melted it. Weaponless and helpless, Bran crawled slowly back before the tortuously advancing mob, keeping close enough to them to be shielded from the tubes of their rear guards. Without his club he knew the end was a matter of seconds. He had an impulse to leap full into the mass of repulsive crawling bodies and die fighting as his fists battered at the gruesome faces. But a second impulse, and a stronger one, was the blind instinct to preserve his life as long as possible. Hesitantly, almost reluctantly, acting on the primitive instinct of self-preservation, he continued to back away from the advancing horde, away from the switch and toward the rear of the dome. With the instant of his withdrawal a rogan turned toward the lever to push it back up into contact and release the Red Kingdom from the burden of Jupiter's unendurable gravity. And now ensued a curious struggle. The lever, placed for the convenience of creatures twelve feet or more tall, was about five feet from the floor, and the rogan couldn't reach it. Stubbornly he heaved and writhed in an effort to raise his inordinately heavy body from the floor to a point where one of the weaving arms could reach the switch, but the pipe-stem legs would not bear its weight. Each time it nearly reached the lever, only to fall feebly back again in a snarl of tangled limbs. Meanwhile Bran had flashed a quick look back over his shoulder to see, in the wall behind him, a metal door he hadn't noticed before. He found time for a flashing instant to wonder why there were no rogans entering from that doorway, too, but it was a vain wonder, and it faded from his mind as the ever-advancing, groping monsters before him kept crowding him back. Instinctively he changed his course a trifle, to edge toward the metal door. Perhaps behind it there was sanctuary for a few moments. Perhaps he could force it open, spring out, and bar it again in the faces of the pursuing mob. It sounded improbable, but at least it offered him a slim chance where before no chance had seemed possible. He reached the door at last, fumbled behind him, and felt high over his head a massive sliding bolt. 
In the spot Brand had left, the struggle to throw the gravity lever back into closed contact position went on. The Rogan who was fruitlessly trying to reach up to it paused and said something to one near him. That one halted and began to crawl toward him. The two of them tried to reach it, one bracing the other and helping him pry his body up from the implacable pull of Jupiter's uninsulated mass. The top Rogan reached a little higher. The flesh-sucker disk that served as a hand almost grasped the lever, but failed by only a few inches. A third Rogan crawled up. And now, with two arching their backs to help the other, the thing was done. The hose-like, groping arm went up and pushed the lever back into place. The blue streamer began to hum and crackle from coil to coil again. The invisible weight that pressed down was released as once more the giant planet's gravity was nullified. The Rogans got eagerly to their feet and began to race toward Brand in their normal long bounds. Brand, just cautiously rising when the power went back on, found himself leaping five feet into the air with the excess of his muscular effort. And in that leap he saw the Rogans in the rear straighten up and point their tubes. However, also in that leap his fumbling hand shot back the bolt that securely shut the metal door. With a shout of defiance he jumped out of the door and slammed it shut after him, feeling it grow searing hot an instant later under the impact of the rays from the tubes that had been trained on him. A stinging shock reached him through the metal, flinging him to the ground. He rolled out of its range and leaped to his feet to race away from there. Then, with a gasp, he flattened his body back against the wall of the dome building. He was in the enclosure that held the gigantic, lizard-like thing that had nearly got him on his escape from the tower-room. He wheeled frantically to go back and face the Rogan death-tubes, anything rather than wait while that mammoth heap of tiny-brained ferocity ran him down and tore him to shreds. But even as he turned, he heard the bolt shoot home on the inside of the door, heard vengeful squeals of triumph from his pursuers. At the other end of the enclosure, near the foot of the tower-building, the great lizard eyed him unblinkingly, its tremendous jaws gaping to reveal a cavernous mouth that was hideously lined with bright orange-colored membrane. Then, squatting lower with every step it took, like a mountainous cat about to spring on its prey, it began to stalk on its tree-like legs toward the tiny creature that had leaped into its yard with it. Brand whirled this way and that, mechanically seeking a way out. There was none. The walls of the great enclosure were not like the wall of the tower. Here were no rough-hewn stones with protruding ridges of mortar set between. These walls were as smooth as glass, and just as smooth was the curved wall of the dome building behind him. The monstrous beast stalked nearer, almost on its belly now. As it advanced, the great tail stirred up a cloud of reddish dust, and left behind it a round deep depression in a surface already criss-crossed with a multitude of similar depressions. A bellowing hiss came from its gaping mouth, and it increased its pace to a thunderous, waddling rush. End of chapter 8